0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hello, friends, and welcome to part two of communication by listening. I want to pick up where I left off. Uh, two weeks ago, and talk about this particular question that I was addressing, namely, what if I've listened and I still don't agree with my spouse? All right, how do you demonstrate? How do you demonstrate that you've heard exactly what your spouse is saying? And I think that's a key aspect of communication. You can be listening to the words that your spouse is saying. You can be listening to the argument that they're making, and you don't agree. And that's okay. You don't have to come to um, a 100% agreement on every single issue. But what you do have to do is figure out a way to compromise, a way to work out the differences so that you come to a position on any given issue that you are comfortable with, that you can successfully co-manage in a marriage. And that may mean sometimes the wife gives up something she wants, and sometimes the husband gives up something that he wants. This is perfectly appropriate, and if you've done well in balancing headship and submission, there won't be any issues with husbands feeling like their wives are acting in an insubordinate manner, and wives, conversely, feeling like their husbands are acting unloving or in an non-understanding way or they're not living with them in an understanding way. So make sure that you make sure you keep those foundational principles in mind as you work on improving your communication. Um, If you can get those principles set well, then that will help and aid in your communication and you won't feel so defensive all the time. Um, It will be easier to accept difficult communication especially from the wife to the husband. If the husband knows that his wife has his best interest at heart and that in general, in the grand scheme of their marriage, she's not insubordinate in many areas. He will be much more willing to listen to difficult topics that you have to bring up uh, via communication. Let's now try to answer this question on how do you demonstrate that you've heard somebody? How do you demonstrate that you've heard? There are a few things that I like to do uh, that I've learned through different biblical counseling courses and then my own experience of counseling to demonstrate that I have heard somebody. And I think that's, that's an important part of being a counselor. And I think it's a very important part of improving the communication in your marriage relationship. The first thing that I like to do to demonstrate that I've heard somebody is I like to be able to repeat their main point back to them in my own words. That may seem rather elementary, but you would be surprised how often it is that when you try to repeat somebody's main point back to them, they say, no, no, that's not what I was talking about. That's not what I intended. And so then there is a realization on the part of both individuals who are in this process of communication And the realization is this, from the person who's doing the communicating, wow, I haven't communicated clearly. And the person who's receiving the communication, wow, I haven't listened very well. And hopefully, if both people who are involved in this communication process realize that the main point has been missed, both of them will go back and redo the communication. They will rework it. They will restate it in a way that is easier to understand that is that uses a a different method or a different means of expressing the same thought perhaps different analogies or different illustrations to communicate the point uh, perhaps there will be a a renewed interest in uh, paying attention when you realize oh i didn't i didn't actually understand what i was supposed to understand there I believe that's the best way to demonstrate that you've heard somebody is that you can restate their main point in your own words. Obviously, another way to demonstrate whether you've heard somebody is to uh, carefully consider their argument and then offer a thoughtful and appropriate counter-response. This is a very important point because most of the time, our counter-responses aren't addressing the issue that was spoken to us. Our counter-response is perhaps a coordinating issue, perhaps a issue that was conflated. Perhaps it's not even related, but it's a shift of the subject matter. If we are going to demonstrate that we have truly heard somebody, then we must respond in kind to the argument or the topic that they have set forth. It's It's a great Irritation, and it's a great roadblock to communication if your spouse is talking about a certain subject. It's a very specific subject, and your response shifts the conversation away from that subject, perhaps to a subject that is somewhat related, but it's not directly on point with the original conversation. If we can be disciplined, in our listening, and in our responding to our spouse to only address one issue at a time, then that will aid greatly in your spouse's confidence that you've heard their argument. That's very important. And, you know, I know how it is. You know how it is. When you get into a a discussion, it seems like there there are five things that every time you bring one of them up, the other four things are related to it and sometimes it's worthwhile to stop the conversation and to say look it's obvious that we have 3 or 4 or 5 issues that seem to be related in some way and we're not we're not making a lot of progress by by talking a little bit about this one and then a little bit about the next one and then a little bit about the other one we need to make an effort to tackle one issue at a time. And so as you are listening, a great way to demonstrate that you are hearing the other person is to make sure that your response is primarily directed at their main topic or main point. You may respond to that main point and say, I agree with what you're saying about this main point, or I disagree with what you're saying about this main point. And I would like to make a decision on that. However, there are these two other things that are related to what you're saying. And I think we need to work all three of these out together. At least you are demonstrating that, yes, you heard what they're saying the main point is. And you're willing to acknowledge that that is their main point. But what you're also doing is you're saying, all right, in addition to your main point, we need to talk about one or two other things that are very closely related. A third good way, and perhaps one of the best ways to demonstrate that you've heard, is to ask thoughtful follow-up questions. If, if you're trying to communicate that you understand what somebody has said, you can ask some thoughtful follow-up questions relating to that topic that will help move the conversation forward. I don't think that you want to ask gotcha questions or questions that are intended to humiliate or questions that are rhetorical in nature. The types of questions that you want to ask ought to be direct, straightforward. They ought to get to the motivation of the spouse who who brought forth the specific point or topic. And when you ask those types of questions, Again, that shows to the person you're talking with that you are engaging on the point that they are wanting to engage at. And that is helpful for building trust in a relationship. It's helpful for establishing a baseline to then deal with the particular issue that is at stake. All right, so we have discussed a little bit on how do you demonstrate that you've heard but what if you have done these things to demonstrate that you've heard all three of the things that I just talked about and you still don't agree necessarily on what to do about the issue. I think at that point you have to determine whether the issue at stake is one of objective truth or of personal preference, okay, which would which would be under the category of Christian liberty. Now if the two of you can determine that the issue is one of objective truth, then both spouses ought to commit themselves to going back to the Word of God and studying that particular topic, that particular truth, independently of one another, and then make a plan to discuss it at a later date. Oftentimes, this will help uh, to sharpen the focus of the discussion. It will help to reveal what it is about that topic uh, that you have a disagreement on. It will help because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and as Christians, we are subjected to the objective truth of God's Word. In other words, we have to come underneath the power of the Word of God. We have to submit to it. It's not her thoughts versus my thoughts. It's what does God say about this issue? that's ultimately what needs to happen when you determine that an issue that you disagree about is one of objective truth. Now, let's say this. Let's say that you've agreed that the issue is one of objective truth. You have a responsibility to now ask the question, is this issue, is this subject revealing a sin in my life that I'm unwilling to confront or change. You see, there can be disagreements on how to handle an issue in a marriage. And one of the reasons for disagreement is that one spouse is unwilling to confront sin when it is presented to them. That sounds awful, but it's, it's a reality for all of us. There are times in each of our lives where we are confronted with sin and we don't want to change. We don't want to be confronted with it. We don't want to have to do the hard work of undoing it. It is essential to ask, is this issue revealing a sin in my life that I'm unwilling to confront or change? We have to be prepared to answer that question, yes. Why? Because the goal of every Christian is to become sanctified like our Lord Jesus Christ. And if some issue is a sin issue, and we're unwilling to change or to be confronted with it, then we are not willing to be sanctified according to the Word of God. That reveals a serious problem. It's a problem in our worship, because we're worshiping an idol instead of the truth. It's a problem in our practice, because now we are beholden to the sin instead of beholden to the Word of God. And it's a problem in our relationship, because it becomes difficult to move forward in a marriage, and really in any other type of relationship, when one party is unwilling to confront or change a sin that has been revealed by the Word of God. Now, perhaps you are willing to spend the time studying the truth independently. Perhaps you are willing to accept that uh, you have sinned and you need to change, but perhaps you have a hard time understanding the actual biblical interpretation of this issue. In that case, I would say you need to have a third party help you interpret the passage and suggest some application. This is where it's good to to get your pastor involved or another trusted friend. Uh, Christians have a responsibility to counsel one another, and I think it's very wise for Christians to use the Word of God in their counseling with one another— because it produces unity, it produces trust, it results in the glory of Christ, and if you're stuck on the issue, it's, it's nice to sometimes have an outside perspective that can help unstick the wheels of your mind. These three things that I've suggested are the ways to deal with communication when uh, it involves a matter of objective truth that you can't agree upon. But things become much more complicated when it's an issue of Christian liberty. And here is, here is how I would, I would say this, because there's a lot that we could say in relationship to Christian liberty. What I would say is this. In a marriage, husbands and wives need to be very careful that they don't allow their use of liberty to become a cause of stumbling for the other spouse. Now, we often think about this in the context and the setting of of church, because that's primarily where we we practice our liberty. But I think even two Christians who are living in a marriage ought to be careful not to violate one another's conscience. An example could be types of movies that you watch. So let's say that um, one of the spouses likes to watch horror movies, and the other spouse's conscience is very bothered by that. Well, the, the spouse who likes to watch horror movies should not pressure or um, insist on the other spouse watching the horror movie if it violates their conscience. I don't. I'm not trying to pass judgment on horror movies. I personally don't enjoy them, but I'm just using that as an example. Even in marriage, there are times where you have to refrain from using your liberty for the benefit of your spouse. So that sets me up to answer the question, what if I've listened to my spouse and I don't agree with them and it's over a matter of Christian liberty rather than a fundamental biblical truth? All right, first, you have to ask this question. Will the practice of the issue by one spouse cause the other spouse to stumble into sin? That's why I use that example of the horror movie. If, if the spouse who wants to watch horror movies, if their practice of that and their um, insistence upon doing it will lead the other spouse into sin or cause them to sin to, by violating their conscience before God, then the spouse who has the freedom needs to appropriately and lovingly give up the freedom. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. He says, those who are strong, those who are mature, ought to demonstrate out of love a restraint to not do whatever violates your brother's conscience. Okay? A second second question that we ought to ask if it's a Christian liberty issue is this. Can we agree to disagree on whatever this particular issue is? There may be some things that are, are difficult to agree upon in marriage and some things that uh, the wife does that the husband will, will not understand or will not be able to change and vice versa. Some things that the husband does that the wife will not be able to understand or change. And so can we agree to disagree on this issue? In other words, another way to ask this is, is it essential that spouses agree on every single issue of life? I believe the answer is no. It's not essential that a spouse agree on every single issue. However, I will say that there has to be a great deal of give and take. You may not agree on an issue, but you may decide to do it out of love and selflessness for the benefit of your spouse. A third thing, if it's a Christian liberty issue and you're trying to demonstrate that you've listened but you still don't agree— A third thing that you should do is to commit to continue studying biblical principles related to this issue so that greater clarity can be achieved. You have to seek continual growth in your knowledge and understanding and application of Scripture. I would say that in my own personal Christian walk, there are things that I would have done 10 years ago that I'm not willing to do now. Not that I not that I think that uh they were sin 10 years ago and they're not sin now, but as as I have continued to immerse myself in the word of God, practicing and demanding the right to practice those issues has become much less important in the overall purpose of my life, which is to glorify Christ. So so continue to study and think about these things from a biblical perspective with an open mind and you might find that whatever it is you disagree about fades into the background as you pursue greater Christ likeness finally if you're still stuck on a christian liberty issue and you know you've kind of gone around and around and perhaps it is providing some contention within your marriage a very humble thing to do would be to ask a third party again for counsel we we don't like this in general, as Americans. We are very private people. We don't like to invite others into our lives, but this is a very important aspect of Christianity. There are, I believe, 52 different verses in the New Testament that can be characterized as one another's, and these verses, these 52 verses, describe the Christian's responsibility to other Christians within the community. And as I previously mentioned, one of the responsibilities is to provide counsel and insight. Another responsibility is to provide accountability. Another responsibility is to bear one another's burdens. And so it requires humility to practice these one another's and it can be a very good and positive thing for your marriage if you're humble to ask a third party to help you think through these things. Again, you do not have to agree on every single issue in marriage, but you have to come to a place where you can joyfully live with one another and the choices that you have that you have made in your marriage. You have to be able to get to that point. Now, finally, as I conclude this podcast on listening, this is the second of two on listening, I want to talk about some Issues related to listening that are perhaps not directly addressed in the Word of God, but I'm going to try to apply some principles to them. Here's the first question, an issue related to listening. What if one spouse's body language does not match or support the words that are being spoken? What I mean by this is, let's say that your your wife is trying to talk to you, the husband, about an important issue. And and your body language is, let's say, poor. Let's say you have poor body language, okay? But you're trying to hear what she has to say. You're trying to listen. Or conversely, you're listening intently, and she's talking to you about a subject and can't help but uh, express frustration through her um, facial expressions, and she can't help but point her finger at you, and you know, to you that seems how oh, very disrespectful. Well, what if those things happen? Okay, from one side or the other. What if body language doesn't match or support the words that are being said? I, I would say this: it is the gracious thing to do to overlook a poor presentation of facts and truth. It's the gracious thing to do, to overlook a poor presentation. I, I've heard, uh, as I've counseled people, I've heard a, a husband make good points, and I've heard a wife make good points about situations that they're dealing with. And because the good points were presented in a poor manner, the entire argument was dismissed. What does that accomplish? What does that accomplish? Now, now nobody likes to have a finger pointed at them. Nobody likes it when you scowl or cry or when you have um, bad body language, when you're sharing truth, but sometimes the emotions that you feel come out and you're trying to work through them. You're trying to 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 get somewhere. Um, when the body language doesn't match the words, I would say, trust the words, not the body language. All right. Trust the words, not the body language. Now, this isn't a hard and fast rule, like an absolute truth. I would say this is a general principle like the Proverbs often offer. The Proverbs often offer general principles about how to approach and deal with life. And so my general rule would be, can you listen to the words and overlook shortcomings in body language? I would say you have a responsibility to do that. Give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. And if this happens on a regular basis, then you need to think about changing the way that you have conversations. Change the time, all right, so that you're not under pressure. Change the environment so that there aren't distractions. Uh, Change perhaps even the, the nature of your body language and positioning. Be seated instead of standing. Or perhaps stand instead of be seated. I don't know. You know, I don't know what, what triggers you to have poor body body language or facial expressions. You perhaps know that. Perhaps you've not even thought about that. And that's something that you really should consider. So I would say, as a general rule, if a person's body language doesn't match the words or support the words that are being said, trust the words and overlook through your graciousness, the poor presentation of facts. A second issue related to listening is this. How do I overcome a bad habit of not listening? Maybe I'm either not paying attention to what my spouse is saying, or I have a pattern of being unwilling to hear the total argument. Let's deal with these two things separately. First, if you're If you have a bad habit of listening that is due to not paying attention, then you need to change. We would call this having good manners. All right. When I talk to my children who are elementary age, I tell them when you talk to other people, you need to look them in the face. You need to make eye contact with them. You need to show by your facial expressions and by your body language that they have your full attention. So that would be the first place to start. Are you being polite to your spouse, or do you take your spouse for granted, and you're just like, oh, I'm going to sit here and flip through my phone while my spouse is talking at me, or am I going to keep my eyes looking at the television while my spouse is talking at me? It's important for us to use our body language to affirm that we're interested in hearing your spouse. This would include, and I don't know, I don't want to make fun of wives too much because I'm sure husbands do that. This would include being in the same room with your spouse when you talk to them. There is nothing more annoying than hearing somebody start a conversation and then the conversation trails off because they've walked out of the room that you were in into a different room. So if you're going to have a conversation, make an effort to be in the same room, okay? If you, the one who are talking, decides to walk off in the middle of the conversation, you can hardly fault the one who is hearing for not listening to you. Because by your actions, you have demonstrated, this what I have to say isn't as important as getting the um, clothes out of the dryer or unloading the dishwasher or, or whatever the case might be, okay? Use body language to affirm that you are interested in hearing and in talking to your spouse, all right? You can schedule a time where you have uninterrupted conversation. I think this is particularly important for those who might have children at home, whether they're teenagers or or even younger, especially with young children. Schedule a time when you can have uninterrupted conversation because it's difficult when you have serious issues to talk about. It's difficult to talk about those things and focus when you're being interrupted every three minutes. All right, so schedule a time when you can have a conversation. Another strategy for overcoming a bad habit of not listening is to work hard to understand how important a given conversation is to your spouse. If it's highly important, you're going to have to sacrifice and give up some of the things that you want to do that day or tasks that you want to accomplish to hear your spouse's need. Another thing that I think you should do if you have a bad habit of not listening is to make sure your spouse knows that every subject is on the table. So no subject is off limits. Every subject is on the table. And this may be a big change for some of you. I think in my previous episode, I discussed how some couples have um, basically rooms of subjects or conversations that they're unwilling to go into because it always leads to an argument. If you want to overcome a bad habit of not listening, you've got to be willing to open up the doors to those rooms, and allow every subject to be on the table. There's a careful way to do this, and there should be an opportunity to carefully revisit painful, difficult, or disagreed-upon subjects so that these things don't remain unspoken throughout your marriage. When I say there's a careful way to do this, I mean you don't have to just dive right into the deepest, darkest, most hurtful subject. You can start with lesser subjects that you've agreed not to talk about and start talking about those things and say, you know what? We need to be mature. We need to handle these things. We need to work through these things. And let's move past the unspokens. And we'll start with the lesser unspokens and we'll move to the bigger unspokens. And that will that will greatly benefit your marriage. And finally, I'm going to tread a little bit into the communication by speech category by just offering this uh, brief question. If you're the one who is speaking and you find that your spouse is regularly not listening to you, you should ask this question of yourself. Does my style or pattern of speaking make it easy for others to hear the points that I am making? All right, so in other words, how am I presenting the information that I'm sharing? Now, from a listener perspective, you can't allow tone of voice or other issues of presentation to cloud what it is that you're hearing. But if you're the one who is speaking, now is the appropriate time to say, you know what? Does my spouse have a hard time listening to me because of my presentation? And if so, what do I need to change about my presentation? These are worthwhile points to consider. All right. Well, I thank you for listening today, and I hope that these these points that I've set forth will help you in becoming a better listener, and that you'll be able to glean some good ideas from this discussion on, that you can immediately apply to your marriage. Thank you so much for being willing to spend the time listening to the podcast, and I pray that you will have great joy and success in your marriage as you seek to apply God's truth to it, perhaps in ways that you never have before. God bless you.